church. And uh, last time I was here, I believe it was May 8th, 2019, uh, we just finished up the God Bless America rally. And uh, this following Sunday night, we were here. And uh, I just want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart. Your church has been such an encouragement. So um, there was an issue that I was dealing with at the church that I was looking into. And uh, it was an issue on uh, what Bible do you use in the Spanish language? And I started to go to the internet to try to find uh, the information that I needed. And sure enough, I came across a video done by your pastor, Pastor Rice. And uh, I was able to watch that. And it was a good encouragement to be able to, you know, just kind of go through everything. And I think he posted that like five, six years ago, but it helped me just recently, and I appreciate that. Um, and then uh, just also Pastor Jacobs, he has been just a constant force of encouragement and uh, texting me, calling me every so often. And I just truly appreciate this church and uh, just uh, um, the encouragement that you all have been to us. Um, I want to kind of tell you uh, just a couple of things that have been going on with us. Um, I want to tell you about the church, kind of the situation when we walked into. Uh, I want to tell you about the community, and then I want to talk about some of the conversions uh, that have been happening uh, since we've been there. Um, back in 2018, our family moved to Tampa, Florida, uh, with the intentions of starting a church up called the Lighthouse Baptist Church. And uh, this church is a unique situation. Uh, there was a church uh, that had been given to our sending church. And uh, one of the main reasons why it had shut down was the church had dwindled down through the years, and then it encountered some sinkholes, and uh, the church was just like, we don't want to deal with it anymore. And so they gave the properties to our sending church, and so that was in 2010 that it had officially shut down. Um, and then our sending church, they got a hold of it, and they started to repair the buildings, and uh, they got the buildings repaired around 2014, and uh, then they needed to find a pastor. Well... Um, that was a little bit more challenging than they thought. It took them five years uh, before somebody came to take this property over and uh, be able to do that. So in 2019, August 2019, we went there uh, with the intentions of starting the Lighthouse Baptist Church. And uh, we got a beautiful uh, campus there. Um, the main auditorium was built in 1967, so a little bit older property. Um, they, we have an auditorium that sits about 225 people. Uh, we also have a fellowship hall that if I were to set chairs up in there, we could probably sit about 100 chairs in there if we wanted to run a church service. Uh, we have a two-story educational building, uh, two parsonages, and four acres. And uh, what's amazing about this is it's all sitting inside the city limits of Tampa, Florida. Um, and um, the city of Tampa um, is just uh, amazing how much it has been growing. Each year, for the last three years, we've gained 60,000 people. Um, each year. And um, just to put that in perspective, I'm pretty sure Maslin's about 30,000. So we gain two Maslins every year um, inside the city there. And uh, what that has done is it has made um, land prices and housing prices go through the roof. And um, there was an eighth of an acre sold just about a block from our church that had no hookups on it and it sold for $230,000. The guy put three houses on it and then sold each house for over 300000 um, it was just unbelievable. Um, but uh, the community that was there, the church that was there, was called the East Side Avenue Baptist Church, and uh, they did a lot um, for the community. Uh, they were a fortress there for many years. You don't get to that point without having a substantial ministry. Um, but there was an issue uh, there at the church that is still lingering, even though the church was shut down for nine years, and that was this. It wasn't until 2008, so two years before the closure of the church, um, that they took something off of their church constitution. All the way up until 2008, they had that African-Americans were not allowed to join the church. Um, it's sad to say that that's not the first time that I've heard that happening inside of an independent Baptist church. Um, and our community, when the church first got up and started going, it was a middle-class neighborhood. That's what it was. Um, but that's not what the community is anymore. Uh, the community is an inner city area. Um, if you were to look up the highest crime rated neighborhoods in Tampa, it's where our church sits. Um, it is the, um, uh, it is, uh, we actually, uh, when my family and I, we first moved there, uh, we heard a helicopter at nighttime and it was every single night. Well, growing up in Ohio, you hear a helicopter, it's life flight. You know, like that's, that's the only reason why you see a helicopter. And um, it, I, we were hearing it every night, and I'm like, what is going on here? And so I looked it up, and sure enough, it says Seminole Heights Police Chopper. And we have our own police chopper for our neighborhood that just goes around all night long. Um, just a couple of blocks from our church is a road called Nebraska Avenue. Uh, Nebraska Avenue is ranked in the top 10 highest crime-rated streets in America. 
Um, this particular uh, neighborhood has a single mom's rate higher than 98.5% of the country. And um, it uh, has been amazing to go in there. We go out, we'll go door knocking. And even though the church was shut down for nine years and now we've been there for four years, um, I'll still have people that have been in that neighborhood for a while that'll say that's the white church, right? And uh, so that has been a kind of an up, uphill climb uh, that we've been dealing with. Um, but uh, some of the things, uh, uh, talking about the church, the situation that we've gone in, uh, some of the, the community, um, one of the things, uh, one, some of the situations that we have dealt with, we do live in the neighborhood next to the church, and um, it has been interesting how the Lord has used that. Um, we, uh, uh, w this has happened to me on three different occasions. I'll be out door knocking, and uh, I'll knock on somebody's door, and uh, they'll look at me, and uh, they'll say to me, they, uh, I say, I pastor the church right down the road up on East Lye Avenue, and their response to me is, yeah, you're willing to pastor here, but you're not willing to live here. And uh, I'll say to them, I was like, well, actually, yes, we are. We live right next to the church. And I had somebody say to me, like, yeah, but you live on the white side of Sly, is what they said. And I said, no, I live right next to the church. And uh, what that has done is a lot of those conversations have turned into people saying, well, if you're willing to live here, then I'm willing to visit. And, um, you know, I think that uh, a lot of times uh, we think about mission fields and we think about missionaries and those kind of things going to foreign fields. We have had three missionaries come to our church and say, you are in more danger living here than we are on the foreign field. And um, I think that sometimes... In America, when we think about a lot of the bad news that's going on in America, no matter what it is, where is it coming from? It's coming from our cities. We hear about the violence. We hear about the crime. Uh, we hear about the uh, secular views that are being pushed with the LGBTQ crowd and all those kind of things. Where are those being formulated? They're being formulated in universities and in cities. That's where they're being pushed. And uh, so, uh, since I brought up that part, um, when we got out and we started door knocking, um, we started to notice a lot of uh, rainbow flags, a lot of transgender flags uh, in our neighborhood. And uh, so I decided to do some digging. And uh, what I found out was uh, Tampa is voted the best place in the southeastern United States for the LGBTQ crowd to live. And not only is it the best place for them to live, but if you look up the top three neighborhoods, they just so happen to be the neighborhoods where our church is sitting. Um, so we're in a high crime rate area with a high LGBTQ crowd. And we also, just uh, real close to our church, is the University of South Florida uh, that has a student enrollment of 54,000 students. Over 120 countries represented on the campus. And um, I was amazed uh, many years ago, I was at a conference talking about outreach to universities, and uh, they said that 80% of all international students that come to the U.S. will never be invited into an American's home the entire time that they're in the U.S. And what also astounds me is over 75% of all international students are coming from 1040 window countries where we can't get missionaries into, and a lot of them are coming and getting degrees and going right back home. And uh, so it's been a prayer of ours that the Lord would allow us uh, to get onto the campus of USF. Um, you know, uh, being a secular university, they're not necessarily gung-ho to say, hey, yeah, come on over, start preaching, you know, that kind of thing. Um, but uh, uh, one day I got a phone call uh, from a man in Honduras. And uh, this man, he uh, uh, called me up and he says, I have, uh, 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 I have a son and a daughter, they're twins. And I'm getting ready to drop them off at the University of South Florida. Can you start picking them up and bringing them to church? And uh, so we picked them up, started bringing them to church. Uh, after a few months, uh, the daughter, uh, Lena, uh, she actually got saved at our church, amen, and uh, got baptized. And you talk about a character change. Oh, my goodness. You can tell the Lord's working in her heart. And uh, uh, things I used to do, I don't do them anymore. I think that would be an awesome way to be able to describe that situation there. Um, in, the, uh, in our church, uh, one of the scarier situations that we have had, um, uh, one, uh, one of them, uh, we, uh, I was going out to pick up some young people. I was in our church van, and I'm dressed like I'm coming from church, amen. And uh, as I uh, pull up to this house, uh, there were, they were having a drug deal that was going down, and uh, there was probably about 20, uh, 30 young people outside of this one house where I pick up teens. And so I decided to get out of the house and, or get out of the van. I start to walk through the middle of them doing that, which, smart or not, I don't know, I did it. But anyhow, 
I get out and um, I had a, one of the people just look at me and say, are you here for the cocaine? Now, I remember growing up in the ministry, my daddy pastors down in Millersburg. I remember the day and age where people were scared to smoke a cigarette in front of the preacher, let alone offer the preacher drugs. <laughs> Amen. Um, and uh, there is uh, that the community there, just the sense of depravity uh, is just kind of at a different level, I guess you could say, uh, than what a lot of people are used to. Um, I've been at least to two different scenes of teenagers that have been to our church uh, that have been shot. Um, neither of them died, thankfully, um, but seeing the gun shells on the street, that's about two blocks from where our house is. Um, in our neighborhood, um, we've had over 30 shootouts uh, since January. Um, but uh, probably the scariest situation that we had was my wife. One day, we were setting up for VBS last year, and uh, um, we, uh, I came up to the house. Uh, our church, our house sits right across the parking lot from the church, and um, my, uh, I went in to watch the kids so my wife could walk down to decorate for church. And um, she calls me just, you know, a minute or two after uh, I had just watched her walk out of the house. And um, she's panicked. She's crying. And I said, what's going on? And she said, uh, there was a, a white van that just pulled in and cornered me in the parking lot of our church and was trying to get me to the van. And um, thankfully, uh, she... Um, was walking away from it. They pulled closer. She got her cell phone out, and that's when the guy sped off. Um, I'm thankful for the protection in her life. Um, but uh, about a week later, they busted over 200 individuals for human trafficking. Um, so if you connect the dots. Um, but uh, I, I, I can stand here and tell you, even in the midst of all that stuff, I know we're exactly where we need to be. And we're there for a reason, and we're there for a purpose. And um, yes, it may have some challenges, but the Lord is doing some amazing things. Um, one of the things, uh, um, I, the many stories I could tell, I already told you about uh, Miss Alina getting saved. Uh, one of the other ones that uh, had gotten saved, there was a man that started visiting our church. His name was Tyrone. Uh, he's 55 years old and uh, attended our church uh, for a while. I would talk to him you know, after the service, get to know him, all those kind of things, and um, invited him out to eat one day and uh, sat down, got to start talking with him, and uh, I was able to present the gospel with him, and uh, Tyrone, he just looked at me, he's like, I've been in churches my whole life, and I've never heard the gospel before. And um, so I gave him the gospel, he accepted Christ as his personal savior, and he got saved. Um, but what is so interesting about Tyrone, um, with the neighborhood that we're in, you know, we get a lot of uh, uh, homeless people coming through asking for handouts. Um, Tyrone had attended our church for three months before anyone in our church found out he was homeless. He just had a different character about him. And uh, he had told the story about how his wife had died of COVID. And with the rent prices and everything going through the roof, he couldn't afford the apartment anymore, couldn't afford the car anymore. And uh, so he had been homeless, sleeping at his job for three months. And, uh, um, but I'm thankful for him getting saved and wanting to get plugged in. Um, one of the other ones that was pretty interesting, uh, there was a man named Dave Alexoff. Um, and uh, Dave Alexoff, uh, we got connected with him. I was able to go over to his house. I was able to lead him to the Lord. Uh, what's so interesting about that was my wife uh, went to the First Baptist Church in Brimfield, Ohio, or First Freedom Baptist Church in Brimfield, Ohio, Pastor Dan Alexoff, and this just so happened to be his baby brother uh, that had been wayward for a long time, and uh, he ended up getting saved, and uh, we saw that happen, and um, we've seen uh, one of the things with all the uh, crime and everything, we've been trying to get the kids off the streets, and so we go right to the park where all the shootings are happening. I, I pull up in a white van at this point when we first started these youth nights. Um, I'd pull up in a white van with no church lettering on it. I'd pull up, and I'd say to the kids, hey, we got youth night. You guys want to come? They'd just jump in the van without asking their parents, and we would drive them away. I probably look like the neighborhood kidnapper. I don't know, but... We were picking them up. We were, we were bringing them to the church. Uh, one of the highlights that we had... Uh, we had a man come in, uh, Todd Monaghan. He actually was at the God Bless America rally. Former, He turned down a UFC contract to be an evangelist. Um, but he came and he preached. We saw 11 young people get saved that night. And uh, just some tremendous, tremendous things. 
Um, one of the other stories, and uh, this will be uh, my, my closing one as we kind of wind it down, uh, that is just so exciting. Um, since 2019 till now, um, it has just pretty much been my wife and I serving in every capacity uh, inside the church. And um, there is a need for laborers, amen, and uh, a need for people to be able to grow and serve and work inside of the church. And uh, there's a man that came to our church. Uh, his name is Paul. Uh, he came with his wife, Crystal. And uh, what was so interesting about them coming is we had done a really big outreach at our church the day before. We did a uh, community barbecue. We gave over 250 barbecue chicken din dinners away. Uh, got rid of them all in less than an hour. Everybody got the gospel, you know, all that kind of stuff. It was awesome. But the next day, we did that barbecue to invite everybody to church. And then Paul shows up at church and sitting in the front row here. And he didn't even know we had the barbecue. He just showed up. And uh, so from that first Sunday that he's there, he's been coming ever since. Uh, it's been about three years. Uh, Brother Paul, I've been specifically investing in and discipling him. And uh, this last Sunday, uh, he took over the adult Sunday school class in a permanent role uh, to be able to start working and serving. And uh, it's just amazing to see people grow and develop and get to the point that they want to serve. Amen. Um, we, uh, as a church, have been able to go out and knock over 40,000 doors as a church since we've started, and uh, we've been able to see 8 to 10 people go out door knocking for the first time and uh, get to the point that they want to share the gospel with somebody. And uh, so I, I'm just amazed at what the Lord's doing. If you can still be in prayer for us, uh, we're averaging about 20, 25 on a Sunday morning. Uh, with the church with the church as big as what it is, um, the bills are still pretty high. Um, you know, AC costs the same turning it on for a group of 20 that it does for 200. And um, so uh, kind of where we're at as a church plant right now, the church plant is supporting themselves about 50% right now. And then the other is uh, being supported by uh, monthly support. And so we're praying for that day that we can officially charter, be an autonomous, fully supported church. Um, I'm thankful for where the Lord's brought us from, but I can't wait to see where he's going to take us to. Amen. Okay, uh, let's go ahead and take our Bibles out tonight. I've been praying about what the Lord um, in particular would like us uh, to be able to share this evening. And uh, there's one particular passage that has really uh, just been on my heart, and I pray that can be helped to you here tonight. Let's go to Hebrews chapter number 5. Uh, Hebrews chapter number 5 here tonight. Hebrews chapter number five, um, it's a custom at our church, I don't know if it is at yours, but if we could stand for the reading of God's word, uh, I'm going to read Hebrews chapter five, verse number 11, and uh, we're going to read down through chapter six, verse number three, okay, so Hebrews chapter five, verse number 11, down through chapter six, verse number three, let's begin. Of whom we have many things to say and hard to be uttered, seeing ye are dull of hearing, for when for the time ye ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. For everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil." Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on unto perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works, and of faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptisms, of the laying on of hands, and of the resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment. And this will we do if God permit. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you so much for this evening, and Lord, I thank you for allowing us to be here tonight, and uh, Lord, I just pray that as we open up your word, Lord, I just pray uh, that your word would just come alive to us here tonight. Lord, I pray that we're not just here out of routine, but we're here because we want to hear from you. Uh, Lord, I pray that our ears would be open and our hearts would be stirred, and uh, Lord, I pray that uh, if we came in here saved tonight, we're a Christian. Lord, I pray that we leave here a stronger Christian than when we walked in. 
And uh, Lord, I pray that if there's one here that does not know you as their personal Savior, Lord, I pray that tonight would be the night of their salvation. Lord, I just pray that you'd work in a special way. And uh, Lord, I pray that this, uh, this Wednesday night service would be something that could be life-changing uh, for, the, uh, for anyone in here just taking the power of your word here tonight. Lord, we love you. We thank you for all that you do. And in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much. You may be seated. So I had just told you uh, a moment ago that our church was here over the course of these last couple of years uh, in need of, and still in need of, laborers, amen, people that want to work, people that want to do things inside of the church. And uh, I want to tell you that that concept and that idea of serving and working inside of the church is not just for church plants, amen, it is not just for church plants. Um, I thought it was interesting. I was talking to a, a fellow church planner, and he said that there's a national statistic uh, that most church plants, uh, are in, uh, if you take the demographics of their church, most church plants are generally uh, about 50% uh, male and 50% uh, female inside of those church plants. And he said what was interesting, when you get to more established churches, uh, as they have gone beyond being a church plant, a lot of times that drops to being 40% male and 60% female, or 30% male and 70% female. And the question is, why is that the case? Well, a lot of times is because we come into churches and we get so used to the routine and we get so used to everything going on uh, that we just stop growing and we stop doing things and we stop having the desire to do things. And uh, we know this just by human nature. Um, uh, generally, men are the first ones to say, I don't want to go to church. And uh, so when we have this idea that uh, we're not going for any purpose, we're not going to invest, um, guess what? That, that can truly hurt things. And uh, so I was praying about uh, just some passages of scripture that we could share with our church to be able to grow. And uh, we came to this particular passage. And I, I'll tell you what, our church at the end of going through this passage was just on fire for the Lord. And I'm thankful for the Lord to be able to do that. But I want to kind of share with you um, just something very simple here tonight out of this particular passage. Um, I believe that the, the book of Hebrews, uh, a lot of times there's a lot of debate about who wrote the book of Hebrews. Um, I personally believe that it was the Apostle Paul, and guess who he was writing to? Hebrews. Um, one of the reasons why I believe that that's the case is some of the language that we just see here about needing milk and strong meat and all that kind of stuff is almost a, a, the same passage that's over in 1 Corinthians chapter number 3, which we know was written by Paul. The language is the same, the way that it's set up, the way that everything is used. So when I look at this particular passage, I feel like it's Paul writing to a group of Hebrews. Now what was interesting about this group of Hebrews that he was writing to, they were struggling with something. These Hebrews, they had gotten saved out of the strict nature of Judaism. And they had been trusting in Judaism. They had been trusting in the rituals of Judaism. And uh, they had been trusting in that, uh, trusting in those works. And they got saved. And once they get saved, they didn't have to practice all those things anymore. And they started growing in the Lord. They started flourishing. They started going forward in the things of the Lord. But then they started to get persecuted. And who was persecuting them? Well, a lot of the people that were persecuting them was the people that they had just left out of Judaism. And they're being criticized and, well, why don't you do this anymore? And they start poking fingers at why they do it this way instead of doing it that way and all those kind of things. And so what had happened was these Jews who had gotten saved, gotten on fire for God, started to turn back to the old works that they used to do. And they weren't necessarily doing it because uh, they had a love for Judaism. They were doing it because they're just like, you know what, if I just practice these little bit of things, then I'm not going to be persecuted anymore. That was kind of the idea and mindset. And you know what, there, there is individuals that can be saved, and as they're saved, they get around their old friends, and the old friends start offering them to do stuff. And you know what, some Christians may cave. Why? Because they don't want to take a stand. And so Paul is dealing with a group of individuals that he wants to invest in them, but he knows they had gotten saved, gotten on fire, and then they turned to go back into the same thing that they were in. And so I want us to understand the concept of what's going on here in chapter number 5, chapter number 6, and chapter number 7. I want you to look at the last word 
of verse number 10. Do you see that word there? It's the word Melchizedek. Okay, now, if I were to go to the average church in America today and say, hey, can everybody stand up and tell me who Melchizedek is? Most people aren't going to be able to say who he is. Um, they, they, there may be some people that try to take a stab at it, um, but there's not a lot of people that know who Melchizedek is. Now, just to put it in a nutshell, who is Melchizedek? I believe it was a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus Christ here on earth. Amen? Um, but Melchizedek, uh, when you look at chapter number 5, um, I want you to uh, look um, at, uh, you go back just a little bit, you can see in verse number 6, the last word of that verse is Melchizedek. Uh, he says Melchizedek there in verse number 10. And then we go down to chapter number 7 and look at verse number 1 of chapter number 7. It says Melchizedek there as well. It says Melchizedek at the verse number 20 of chapter number 6. Do you see how Melchizedek is being brought up between these three chapters? Now, the storyline is this. Paul comes to these group of Hebrew believers, and he says this. Hey, Hebrew believers, I want to teach you about something. I want to teach you about Melchizedek. That's what I want to teach you about. But there was a problem with the Hebrew believers. Remember, they had been backsliding back into things. He says, I want to come and I want to teach you about Melchizedek. Now, Melchizedek, I want you to understand, that's kind of a more in-depth subject. Okay? That's not somebody you get saved and then they hand you a booklet and the first booklet you get after you get saved is, who is Melchizedek? Okay? That's not how that works generally. Your discipleships class that you have at your church after getting saved, you don't have a booklet on Melchizedek. Okay? You have booklets on what is salvation? What is baptism? Uh, what is the word of God? Those are the things that you cover. And so Paul comes to this group and he's like, hey, I want to teach you about Melchizedek. And uh, so he says, I want to teach you about Melchizedek, but notice verse number 11. So verse number 10, it says, verse number 10, call of God, a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Verse number 11, of whom we have many things to say. Do you hear that heart of Paul? Hey, I have a lot of things to tell you about Melchizedek. And then notice this, of whom we have many things to say and hard to be uttered, seeing you are dull of hearing. He says, hey, uh, Hebrews, hey, Hebrew believers, I want to teach you about Melchizedek. And the things about Melchizedek are a little bit deeper. They're a little bit harder to understand, but there's a problem. You're dull of hearing. Your ears are turned off. You, you, you don't, you're not ready for the story of Melchizedek yet. And so he decides to go a little bit further with this idea. You are dull of hearing. In verse number 12, For when for the time ye ought to be, what's that next word? Teachers. Ye have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk, and not of strong meat. He says, hey, Hebrew believers, you got saved, you grew, you should have grown to the point that I could have walked in here really easily and given you something deep and doctrinal and meaningful, and you could have had this to be able to put in your toolbox to be able to learn and grow. But he says, guess what? You shouldn't be at the point that you should be teachers investing in other individuals, but no, you're over here having to be taught the basic principles all over again. He's not talking to a bunch of lost people. He's talking to a bunch of saved people. And tonight, I understand it's a Wednesday night crowd. Generally, Wednesday night crowds are generally a bunch of saved people. And what is the concept that he's talking about here? He's saying, hey, you Christians, you should be at the point that you're a teacher. Now, I want you to understand, being a teacher is somebody who imparts knowledge to another individual. Okay, that's what a teacher is. I think we all got that concept. Now, I understand not everybody that comes to church is going to be an adult Sunday school teacher. I get that. Okay? Not everybody is going to be teaching a teenage class or a junior age class or a primary age class. I get it. Sometimes people aren't going to be that individual to teach that class. I understand that. But can I tell you something? All of us as Christians have a responsibility 
to impart knowledge to other individuals. Now, at the basic premise of being a Christian, we have a responsibility to tell other people about the gospel of Jesus Christ. So if you have the knowledge of the gospel, and they don't have the knowledge of the gospel, and you impart that knowledge to that individual, would that not make you a teacher? For when for the time, you ought to be teachers. I wonder, are you investing in any individual? I'm not saying you're necessarily teaching a class. I'm just saying out of the, the basic doctrinal knowledge that you have, if you're saved, you know why you're saved. You understood you were a sinner. He was the Savior. You asked the Lord to come into your heart, and you're on your way to heaven because of not your merit, his merit, and what he did in your life. You understand that. If you know that principle, and you know you're on the way to heaven, guess what? You can relay that story to someone else. For when for the time you ought to be teachers, you have need that one teach you again. What's Christianity 101? Get saved and tell others. I wonder, where are we at in here tonight? It's the Wednesday night crowd. This is the, the saved crowd. Are we investing in other individuals? Or do we need to go back to Christianity 101? He says this, he says, which are the first principles of the oracles of God. And are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. I want you to understand, my son, uh, if he went to school, he's in first grade now. If he went to school and halfway through the year, the principal came to me and said, hey, your son's teacher has to go back to kindergarten to learn how to read and write. That would seem kind of weird. But yet, as Christians, there's a lot of Christians that get saved, they get on fire, they grow, and then all of a sudden they just fizzle out and they're back to square number one. You know, the majority of counseling, when you talk to people, Christians that backslide, you know what the first thing is that you tell that Christian to do? Well, make sure you're in church every service. Make sure you're reading your Bible. Make sure you're praying. What do those sounds like? Those sound like basic principles, do they not? He says this. He uses the illustration of become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. I have a little baby daughter. She's, she's one years old. And uh, you know what? She's got two teeth. And she can tear stuff up. But I'm not necessarily giving her a ribeye yet. Okay? Um, there's still some, a level of food that I feel comfortable with giving her that she has not reached yet other levels. Come such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. You were eating steak at one point, and now you're back to eating milk. Now, if we saw an adult that wins that way, one night you see him at Longhorn, the next night you see him drinking out of a baby bottle, that's a little messed up. And we get it in the, the physical sense that, hey, that doesn't make any sense, but it's happening every single time in the spiritual sense. Verse 13. For everyone that useth milk, and notice this, is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. Okay, so we're going to do something here. Verse 13, we're going to stop, we're going to pause, we're going to think about this. For everyone that useth milk, do we all agree that the milk user is a baby, right? Okay. For everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness. What is the word of righteousness? The Bible, right? So, if you are unskillful in this book, what are you considered? A babe. So if you are saved and unskillful in this book, what does that make you? A baby. Now, this is what we're going to do tonight, if I don't shut my Bible. I want us tonight to take the baby test. There's some people in here tonight that say, well, yeah, I've been in church my whole life, and I'm doing good. I, I have a Bible knowledge. Yeah, I understand some stuff. But I wonder, does your standard line up to what God's standard is? on being skillful in the word of righteousness. Okay? 
So let's just read verse 14 to kind of get this in context, okay? But strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age. So the ones using milk are unskilled from the word of righteousness. But strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age. Those that are mature can digest more deeper things of the word of God. Um, strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age. Even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Okay, so first part of the baby test. Do you know what is good and do you know what evil is? Do you know what good is and do you know what evil is? How many times in churches are there Christians that have to keep going back to their pastor and back to their pastor and back to their pastor and back to their pastor? I just struggle with this. I struggle with this. I struggle with this. I struggle with this. Well, here he says somebody that's a full age, they know what's right. They know what's good. And they also know what evil is. And if we're struggling on the line of, is this good, is this not, I should live this way, I should not, guess what? Then we're probably approaching into the baby category. But I have so much doctrinal knowledge. Are you struggling with good and evil? Are we struggling with that? Now, let's get into verse 6. This is where the real baby test really starts. Chapter number 6. So he just said, a babe is somebody who is unskillful in the word of righteousness, correct? He said that they were supposed to be teachers, but they have fallen back into this baby mindset. He said they should be teachers investing knowledge into other individuals, and they should be growing. They should be of full age. So we come to verse number six. Now remember everything that he just said in chapter five. Verse number six, or chapter number six, verse number one, starts with the word, therefore. In other words, everything that we just said, that we just built on, therefore, let's keep the lesson going. Okay? Therefore, since we're supposed to be a full age eating meat, not being babies, therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ. Okay. After you get saved, are you supposed to forget about who Jesus is? No, right? You're not supposed to forget about him. But according to this verse, it says you're supposed to leave, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ. Well, what's, what does that mean? Well, I told you my son, he's in the early stages of school. When you go to school, what do you first start learning? A, B, C, D, E, F, G. One, two, three, four. Now, first grade, second grade, kindergarten, guess what? They're going to probably start the school year off reviewing all those, aren't they? Yeah. But when you get to 12th grade, it'd be kind of weird if the teacher walked in and said, okay, class, let's sing our ABCs. A, why? Because we already got that. We already understand it. You know, you go... Uh, kindergarten, first grade, second grade, you might review those. Third, fourth, fifth grade, guess what? We're not reviewing that anymore because we've already pounded it into our brains. We're leaving teaching that topic because we've already fully grasped it. So here, he says, therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ. What is the first essential thing that you have to understand in order to get saved? Who Jesus Christ is. Who Jesus Christ is and what he's done for you. Okay? Um, if I go through a plan of salvation with somebody and somebody doesn't believe that Jesus died for their sins, guess what? They're not ready to get saved yet. That's not rocket science. Why? Because you have to understand you're a sinner and that he's the savior and he died for your sins so that you can go to heaven. Okay? If I go to witness somebody and they don't think they're a sinner and they don't think he's the savior, guess what? They're not ready to get saved. That's basics. Leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on to perfection, which is the idea of maturity. Not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God. So verse 1, I would say it, it talks about Christ, it talks about repentance from dead works, and it talks about faith towards God. Wouldn't you say verse 1 is talking about salvation? Okay, 
All those are topics in regards to salvation, right? Now, in chapter number five, what did he say? Everybody should be a teacher, right? You have knowledge. You should be able to invest in another individual. So let me ask you a question tonight. Can somebody tell me a verse, since we're supposed to be skillful in the word of righteousness, what is a verse you would show somebody to get saved? Okay, John 3.16. That was a good one. Anybody else got any other verses that you can help somebody to get saved? What's another verse? Let me shout out a reference. Okay, Romans 5.8. Other ones? Okay, awesome. We know verses to be able to show somebody. Okay. Now, how many people have we showed those verses? That's a good question, right? Okay. If we don't understand where some simple verses are to be able to impart knowledge to another individual, if you can't get past that one, then I can just put you in the classification, you're a baby. Okay. Now, guess what? The list doesn't stop at the topic of salvation. Remember, verse 1 laid the principle, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on into perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and faith towards God. Notice verse 2, of the doctrine of baptisms. Now, baptisms, the reason why there's an S on the end is for this reason. He was talking to Hebrew believers. Hebrew believers had a lot of holy washings in the Jewish rituals, okay, that they would go through. But if they had gotten saved, what did the New Testament believer do after they got saved? They got baptized. So when he says baptisms, he's talking about what they came from and where they got to. Okay? Leaving the principles of the doctrine of baptism. So you showed me just a little bit ago some verses to show somebody how to get saved. Now let me ask you a question. you know any Bible verses about baptism? He says we're supposed to leave that principle, right? He says that you're a babe if you're unskillful in the word of righteousness. If step two of the Christian life is baptism, shouldn't we as Christians have a grasp on where baptism is talked about in the Bible? Anybody have any ideas where you can talk about baptism from the Bible? Acts, thank you. Now, guess what? He doesn't stop at baptisms, does he? Of the doctrine of baptism and of the laying on of hands. Okay. Salvation, we got that one. Okay, we're good there. We can, we can say those verses. Baptism, maybe a little bit more shaky, but we can get there. Laying on of hands. Now, what in the world are we talking about? Now, laying on of hands, you go back to the Old Testament when they would do the sacrifices, guess what? They would lay hands on the sacrifices, do different things inside the rituals that were there. But when we get to the New Testament, guess what the laying on of hands is? It's the commissioning of individuals to go into the ministry. It's the commissioning of individuals to go into the ministry. Paul, when talking to Timothy, he says that Timothy uh, laid not suddenly hands on an individual. Why? Because it has weight, it has meaning. To be able to do that. Um, I'm amazed. We opened our church. Lighthouse Baptist Church. I'm open for two months. I had 13 pastors from the community come and visit me. That weren't Baptist. And you know what all of them wanted? They wanted my buildings. Hey, can we do this? You know what's interesting about those 13 pastors that came and visited? Half of them were women. And the other half, if I were to talk to him, I'd say, so what kind of church did you go to? And they would tell me what kind of church they went to. And I was like, so who sent you out? They have no concept of that. I have people that come to our church all the time. I go out door I probably meet three pastors every time I go out because everybody says, I'm a preacher. I'm an evangelist. I'm a pastor. This last Sunday, I had a black Hebrew Israelite come in with the intent of rebuking the minister. That was some fireworks after the service. Um, that person claimed that they were God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit and that they can write the Bible in themselves. But I want us to understand the local church 
and the commissioning of individuals is important. And that is a Bible doctrine. How well do you know your Bible to be able to explain church authority and the laying on of hands and sending out people? Didn't he say, leaving the principles? You're a babe if you're unskillful in the word of righteousness. Let's look at the next one. Laying on of hands. Verse number two, laying on of hands and of the resurrection of the dead. Resurrection of the dead. Hmm. What is the next thing on God's timeline for a Christian? We either have a physical death or we have the rapture, right? You know what happens at the rapture? The dead in Christ are called. Amen. The resurrection of the dead. That's going to happen. Okay. I w uh, have been amazed. I had, um, had some people come to our church. Um, there's a heretic online called Stephen Anderson. And he's got the timeline of the rapture and all that kind of stuff all, um, all thrown out there and all that. And this was, what was crazy. So Stephen Anderson is the leader of this movement called the New Independent Fundamental Baptist. He named it himself. And what was interesting was there was a time period in our church where every week I was getting people that were lining up with Anderson's doctrine visiting our church. And I thought to myself, why in the world are we getting so many people? Because obviously on our website, that's not what we believe. And uh, so I decided to type in new independent fundamental Baptist churches in Tampa. And guess what church popped up first in Google search? Ours. <laughs> Why? Because on my website it says New Church Plant, and then another place it says Independent Baptist Church. And Google just threw them all together. So we had some doctrinal challenges about this resurrection of the dead and rapture and all those kind of things. Do you have any idea what books even talk about that? I'm not even asking for verses. Do we know what books? Do we know what chapters it's talking about? He doesn't stop there. He then goes on at the end of verse number two, and of eternal judgment. Now we know that there's an afterlife. We get to go to heaven or we get to go to hell. When he says eternal judgment, we know which one he's talking about. Because heaven isn't judgment, amen? Uh, heaven's glorious. Now we, we, we get to stand in front of the judgment seat of Christ. We get to do that, amen? And uh, he gets to reward us for our works that we did here on earth, Okay? But that eternal judgment where you're going to be judged and punished for the rest of your life. Do we know where the Bible talks about those? Yep. Some passages there, yep. Now, I don't know where you're at as an individual here tonight. But tonight we just walked through what I call the baby test. A babe is someone who is unskillful in the word of righteousness... And then right after he says that, he says, hey, we should leave these principles and move on. Growing into Christian perfection and maturity. I wonder, of this list of doctrines, where did the knowledge stop? I wonder in these doctrines, where in the list of these doctrines did the, does the knowledge need refreshed? Remember, these Hebrew believers, they grew and were on fire. But then they fell back to where they had to be taught every single one of these principles again. There may be individuals in here that in your life as a Christian, you've been on fire for God in certain seasons. But maybe this season in life, you're not as in fire as you used to be. And some of those things, because you haven't been working them, we've slipped up on them. Church, can I tell you here tonight, I know, I have a feeling that every individual that is here tonight has a desire to see their church go forward for the cause of Christ. We want to see our churches reach our community and get saved. We want to see our church growing and people being discipled and people growing and all those kind of things. We want to see those kind of things happen. You know, can I tell you something? That's not going to happen with your pastor doing it all by himself. You know what your pastor needs? He needs a bunch of steak eaters in the pew. Not just people that have the money to go out and buy steak, okay? <laughs> but people who can digest and put forth and teach the word of God.
well, I can't teach a class anymore. Yeah, but you can leave a track somewhere. Well, I, 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 I can't, uh, I, I just don't feel comfortable getting up in front of a whole big group of people. Well, then just talk to an individual. Talk to your friends, talk to your neighbors, talk to your coworkers. Go invest the knowledge that you have in them. You know, our church should be full of baby Christians because they're new Christians. But sadly, a lot of our churches, we have churches full of babies, but they're a bunch of old babies. They got saved, but they just haven't grown. I pray to God that's not the testimony of the Anchor Baptist Church. And I pray that tonight as we've looked into the Word of God, I pray that you can look at yourself in the mirror and there's a point in this outline that you see from these verses where it says, okay, my knowledge stops here and I need to start growing again. Tonight, are you drinking the milk or are you eating the meat? Are you drinking the milk or are you eating the meat? Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you so much for tonight. Lord, I thank you for allowing us to be able to take the time to be able to look into your word. Lord, I pray that you would help us as individuals to understand our personal responsibility to you and the knowledge that you have given us in your word. Lord, I pray that we would get fed up with being a baby any longer. Lord, I pray that we would get at the point that we just have a hunger and a desire to grow in the Lord. With heads bowed and eyes closed, I have just a couple of questions to ask. The first question is simple. Has there ever been a time in your life where you've asked the Lord to come into your heart and life and you know beyond a shadow of a doubt you're on your way to heaven? If that's you, can you raise your hand and say, Brother Corbin, that's me. I know I'm saved. I appreciate it. Hands all over the room. You can put them down. Maybe there's an individual in here tonight that says, Brother Corbin, I don't know if I'm saved. I've never asked the Lord to come into my heart. Would you pray for me that I can get that settled so that I know that heaven is my home? Is there anybody like that in here tonight? I don't know if I'm saved. Well, then in here tonight... We're saved in here tonight. How many in here tonight would say, Brother Corbin, there's some areas of growth that I need to take. There's some steps of growth that I'm, I'm drinking the milk in this area of my life. Would you pray for me that I can grow in that area? Is there anybody like that in here this evening? I'm willing to raise their hand. I appreciate the hands all over the room. You can put them down. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that tonight. I pray that you'd use this invitation time. Lord, I pray that you would help us to not just recognize those areas that are in our life, but Lord, commit those areas in our life over to you that need fixed and help us to be a growing point in our lives. Lord, I pray you would use this invitation time and in Jesus' name, amen. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed as the music begins to play. Lord, challenge your heart. I challenge you to come here tonight, do business with the Lord. How do we measure up? <laughs>